When it comes to not knowing things, me and Steven are top of the line. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Uninformed. My name is Steven Reinman. Uh, we got a guest with us today. We got uh, Tris Egot. Am I saying that right? Yep. Okay, awesome. Yeah, he's joining us. He's uh, she's a member from sorry. the... Uh... Whoa, 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 she... She, yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, sorry, I was going to say up top beforehand, I'm working on a two-day hangover, so my brain is still a little fried. Um, we're going to have Mike do the heavy lifting today. But yeah, she's from the Overstated NBA group. I think you're in quite a few of our groups, actually, aren't you? Yeah, so uh, NBA, hip-hop, and gaming. Okay, awesome, awesome, yeah. So yeah, we wanted to talk. We had a little conversation last week about um, some of the, like, the trans athletes and things that have been going on in the world with that. So I wanted to have someone's opinion on it who actually knows what they're talking about instead of just me and Mike <laughs> just rambling. Excellent. So excited to have you on. And then uh, also I'm always joined by my, my favorite co-host, Mike Lavery. What's going on, Mike? I'll tell you what's going on today. You know, it's everywhere. I, I probably not where Tris is, but everywhere around us, it's, it's cold and, bad weather and i was going to the store and asked shannon my wife if she wanted anything and she said chocolate and i went there and there's a couple things that are go-to's i think our favorite collectively is peanut m&ms so i get to the m&m station and there is too many flavors there's over i was looking up there's over 30 flavors of m&ms at a certain point you just have to believe in yourself and just they made a billion dollars just being themselves i don't know if do you think people are going buying them just because they have like a jalapeno flavor and stuff like that well this is the second time you've referenced chocolate desserts to me that Mm -hmm. i I cannot eat so i'm gonna i don't know i don't eat any of it anyway tris do you have m&ms down there or are they called something else or no we so we used to only have pebbles, which are like the British M&Ms. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had M&Ms for like, I don't know, 20, 30 years, 30 years. But we mostly just have chocolate and peanut and then maybe one or two other flavors. See, peanut's the way to go. Do you have a, do you have a preference? Yeah, yeah, probably peanut. I don't really eat a lot of M&Ms, but yeah. yeah. That's fair, that's fair. Um, so there's actually one thing I wanted to ask you about specifically, right? So... In our group, you're listed as Tris Cordelia. Cordelia, did you? Uh, yeah. Did you pick yeah, Cordelia? So, yes. So, so my full name is Tristan Cordelia Eager. Um, Tristan is the name I was born with, um, and which I decided not to change when I transitioned because it's one of the only things my dad gave me. Mm-hmm. It's kind of pretty. But then I picked the name Cordelia. Um, I would like to say I picked it based on King Lear. Or okay. Brides Revisited, both of which are legitimate things to take it from. But I took it from Buffy the Vampire. That's what I was gonna. That's <laughs> what I was gonna ask you. Um, and to me, so one of my friends when she transitioned, she she used to be big into Doctor Who, and then she chose the middle name Rose, and I always thought it was um, from the Doctor Who character, but yep. it wasn't. But to me, that'd be like such a hard decision to like. How how long did you think about? what name to choose yeah, or did was, you always it know kind of an, it was kind of an accident like i was writing at the time i came out i was writing a story where the main character was cordelia um, okay and so i just kind of picked it it's and yeah it's okay like i'm i'm 
cool with it but i decided not to make it my first name because i didn't feel as attached to that as i did to tristan sure um, and yet tristan is like 85 percent of people called tristan are guys mm-hmm. um and so i was kind of like uh should i change it and then when witcher 3 um when i became <laughs> a big fan of the witcher franchise yeah there's a character in that called tris so i was like oh well i'll just shorten it to tris so that's do you ever have second doubts on the name you chose like do you ever like oh i wish i chose that name or like oh, you know there's a lot going on with josh whedon in the news right now Does, is that yeah. something that like affects your thoughts on the name no not that doesn't um it's maybe if like if joss whedon was like a novelist um, mm-hmm. and was the sole author of like a novel that i picked my name of like if you know if someone picked their name of harry potter mm-hmm. um i imagine they would be struggling with that quite a lot but yeah the show has a lot of authors um charisma carpenter has as much if not more claim to that name mm-hmm. than joss whedon um and i'm also i guess i'm someone who is in favor of separating the art from the artist mm-hmm. which you know a lot of people in my community are not and mm-hmm. my attitude is well as long as you're not actually giving money to the to a problematic author then there's no reason not to sure are you or it. are you or were you ever a harry potter fan now that you mention it not really no hmm. i was like more of a Discworld fan back when i was a, a teenager and into fantasy um like it's you know it's not a bad series there are lots of good things about the books but I I think by the time it came out, I was a bit too old for it. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of a snob. I was like reading Dostoevsky and mm-hmm. being like, oh, <laughs> this is just like escapist fantasy for kids. Like yep. it's good escapist fantasy for kids. But yeah, so that was less of an issue. See, I loved me. it growing up. It was the only thing. It was the only thing I was allowed to read in that vein because I grew up at, you know, as I don't know if you know, but I grew up, you know, in the Bible Belt here in America is what right. we call it. So all like basically if there's anything to do with like anything not Christian is considered for the devil. So I I managed to sneak that one by my parents and not tell them it was about wizards and <laughs> magic yeah. and stuff. So I was able to read it. So I enjoyed it. But I'm kind of the same way where it's like, eh, I, I, I'm not I, it doesn't hold a special place to me. So I don't mind not supporting it. Yeah. Yeah. And I so mean, it's, I don't think you need to like give up on it like you can still enjoy it i just yeah. would urge you not to give money to check yeah yeah Definitely. no i'm giving my daughter my my old books i'm not going out and buying new ones yeah so what's going on in new zealand these days um well it's, it's summertime um must we, be nice yeah we've had a pretty good summer like we had our the second lockdown finished in october and from the end of October through until Valentine's Day, we had no coronavirus issues, really. Um, we have like a border quarantine. So anyone entering New Zealand has to spend two weeks in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had like half a dozen cases over the summer where people have tested positive who've either worked and worked sort of in the quarantine hotels, cleaning them or um, have come out and then tested positive after coming out. But none of those have been issues they haven't spread they haven't required any measures other than that one person and their close contacts being tested in quarantine how is um, but then on oh sorry oh how has life been affected like are you all still wearing masks or is every are stores like here we have only so many people can be in buildings we have to be separated is it the same type of thing in new zealand 
Not not really. Like we have a, an alert system with four levels, and for most of the time we've been in level one, which means our border is closed, um, and every shop has to have a QR code that you can scan in using this COVID tracing app. But there aren't mask requirements. However, on Valentine's Day, um, they found someone tested positive in the community, and we do genome genome testing of every single coronavirus case because we don't mm-hmm. have a lot, so we can do genome sequencing of them all and they te- someone tested positive who didn't have a direct link to the quarantine system um and also the coronavirus that they had the genome sequence didn't match that of anyone else in new zealand so hmm. it raised the possibility that there is a coronavirus like running uh, through the community so they caught that on valentine's day by midnight that night, Auckland, where that person lived, had gone into lockdown, and the rest of the country was um, in legally enforced so- social distancing. So where we do bring in um, only so many people in stores, you can't have gatherings of more than 100 people. But after three days of intensive testing of any contacts um, of that person, they only found a couple of other people who had it. So that confirmed that it wasn't running rampant through the community. So... Auckland has gone from lockdown to legally enforced social distancing and the rest of the country is back up and running, um, which, you know, it was great. It means I was able to go clubbing on Friday, which I always wouldn't have done. Um, but, you know, are the clubs, getting... like, are they run any differently now than they used to be? No, the, the only difference is that you have to sign in when you enter. Okay. Um, so that if someone who went to that club while you were there tested positive, then the government would be able to call you up and say, hey, you are a contact of someone who has coronavirus. Please get tested. Don't go to work um, until your test comes back negative. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm thinking about that kind of thing trying to happen here in America. That would... Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I Like oh, where speak- I'm at, where I work most of the time, if you go into a store people look at you funny if you have a mask on so it's it's a whole different world here at least yeah this week we had one client come in so i i work with animals and people just like bring their dogs in and one person came in with their dog and they brought in with six people with them and then they all like wanted to cram into this one little room and i was like i couldn't believe it and the dad like wasn't wearing a mask like it it drove me crazy I had a customer, so I'm in, I do pest control, so I go in and out of houses, but I always wear my mask, and um, most of the time people kind of stay away from me while I'm in there, Um, but I had one, I went up to their house, and he met me outside and said, oh, hey, I'm on my last day of my quarantine right now, just to give you a heads up, (laughs) and I I was like, well, why, why am I here right now then? Yeah, geez. So it's, just to give you an idea, that's, that's, uh kind of like what it's like here speaking of texas um sorry i didn't mean to cut you off tris you have anything else on on what's going on in new zealand yeah i mean we do have we do have sort of a a subsection of the population who don't believe in the virus and don't Mm. believe in the restrictions um they tried to do they said they were going to do a mass protest at parliament and there was like i don't know maybe 50 people there were like more people just having picnics on the lawn <laughs> so we definitely have that element there just aren't that many of them and i think because our government's handled it so well most people just look at the protesters like you guys are idiots yeah y'all were yeah. like the examples cuz i mean it was pretty much no cases for for the most part and ever while meanwhile like people like italy and uh who else was it i can't remember right now we're just getting decimated by it 
and then there was just New Zealand just <laughs> plug, yeah, plugging like, away. We we did have a big breakout like in back in March last year, so mm -hmm. we it it did spread wild. But if, what we've learned is the key is just locking down as soon as possible. As soon as you have a case of community transmission where someone tests positive and you can't directly link them to someone else, mm -hmm. you just have to lock it down within 24, 48 hours. And if you do that, it seems to go away. Do you have groups? I don't know if you know QAnon. Do you have groups like QAnon in New Zealand? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the group that I mentioned protesting at Parliament are basically a QAnon group. Um, okay. Yeah, they so, don't get taken too seriously, but they're there. So um, speaking of like craziness that's going on in the world, uh, there's been a lot going on in Texas weather-wise, mm -hmm. and that's where you are, Stephen. So first of all, I, I guess I should ask at the beginning of the show, how is everybody doing that you know? Is everybody safe and everything? Yeah, we're. I mean, we're pretty much recovering now. Like we, uh, knock on wood right now, but pretty much my household was the only one that I knew of that didn't have their pipes burst in their house and pretty like flood their house. The entire street next to us, one street over their entire street, uh, all their houses pipes burst, uh, a bunch of my friends pipes burst. So a couple of them had stayed with us for a night or two, um, while they were waiting on their electricity to be turned back on at least so they could have heat. But I know the first day that we really got hit hard by it, our power went out for like i want to say it was like 12 13 hours and we were extremely lucky to only have ha been without it for 12 to 13 hours because there are people to this day who still don't have it right now and they're you know there are people dying because they're too cold they can't can't get inside i mean it's not it's not anything we were prepared for it was it was pretty crazy yeah so i think what's unique about texas is and I'm I'm explaining this to listeners because I know you already know this, Stephen. And Tristan might know this. Tristan might know this, but um, Texas isn't part of the national power grid. It is our national power grid basically is east and west, and we if one's running low, the other grid can share power. But Texas wanted to basically have no restrictions, so they weren't part of that power grid, so they could control it. It's more like a a free market as opposed to I don't know how what we would consider what we do now, like a socialist type in, <laughs> in electricity sharing. So do you guys think that there's like a middle ground between sharing electricity across the country and, but also having a free market? I, oh, sorry, my dogs. Sorry. Stop. <laughs> so, um, Tris, Tris, go ahead. Do you know sorry. how the, yeah, no, I, I have a, um, a friend who works in, in the electricity industry. Essentially, it's all of the um, all of the most of our power stations are hydroelectric, and they were all owned by the government until recently, where some of them have become semi-privatized, like they're kind of government-owned, but they are on the stock market and current shares, um, and they just all of the power stations take part in a single national grid um, and then they they distribute power to the various power companies which you can buy power from so it's kind of like a single a single integrated market but with different power suppliers um, it's kind of a weird system but yeah so the pricing is it like 
they're not competing against each other for price, are they? It's it's more like these are the packages you can choose from. Yeah, they they sort of are, but if you're just a residential customer, um, although they do trade energy, it's not like the free market. Like there are pretty tight restrictions on how you can price energy. Um, they're mostly competing for the big industrial buyers. Okay. Um, yeah. So what what's been happening here? I don't I don't know if you saw the ERCOT thing. It's E R C O T. It's it's the electrical retail something something something. But they they're basically in charge of regulating. From what I understand, they they go in and make sure the companies aren't dicking people around too much. Um, but what they what is happening is these companies who bought up all this electricity to uh, then give it to the customers. They didn't buy up enough because right now the people who are getting their power turned back on are just cranking the heat. So their bills are going way up. They're not able to provide enough electricity. So they're telling these people, hey, um, just cancel our service and go try and find a new one. Because if you if if we're not able to renew, like basically if you if it just time runs out on your contract with us, then you're going to get stuck with the last resort company is what it's called. And they can set their price at whatever they want. So they can just really bend you over um, when it comes to the price. So people started canceling and they're going with a couple of these different companies, but ERCOT didn't go through and look at it. So these companies that people are transferring to are jacking the price up themselves to like $9 a kilowatt or something like that, which equals out to like $450 a day. So people are getting $10,000 electricity bills. So today, like looking back at what happened, do you think people in your community still support like the free market or do they think they might have more interest in kind of joining the grid? I don't know how easy that is, but do you think they want something that's will have a better chance to keep them safer, but might not have the same like savings once in a while? It's about 50 50 still. You got to remember it's still Texas. So half the people commenting on things are saying, look, this is what happens when you go green. Well, so. <laughs> yeah. So I saw that. I also saw Rick Perry, who used to be the, um, the like, governor. Well, yeah, he was the governor of Texas, but in in the United States government, he was like the energy secretary or something. Yeah. And he, he said he came out and just said people in Texas would rather be without power than have someone like control, like taking away control away from their choices. Absolutely not. I I lived. We were in the house when it was fifty degrees in the house with no answer in sight on when our power was going to get back on. I would have done just about anything to get heat inside my house at that time. Yeah. I mean, we went out and sat in the truck in my work truck and turned the heat on for like an hour just so we could thaw out for a second and charge our phones and hopefully hear back from the power company who, you know, doesn't have anything to say to you. They say, we got no estimate in sight. So no, I'd rather have their choices taken away. Yeah. So, so one of the things that you mentioned was like people talking about frozen windmills, which is kind of like the the smallest issue here. But yeah. um, Tris, where you when you're talking about hydropower, are there elements that happen in New Zealand that might kind of like p- throw a wrench into how the hydropower works? Like I don't know if it gets really cold and freezes or something like that. Yeah, well, it's it's droughts really. Okay, freezing isn't really a problem, but um, yeah, there are times where the levels get there's just not enough water in a particular lake to run the dam from that to run um, the hydroelectric dam from that lake and then that does cause power issues Mm. um and then we we do have some like old coal-powered stations 
which the government's been trying to take off the grid and get rid of because they're dirty, but you kind of need them there. Um, oh, I don't think they maybe gas rather than coal. But yeah, they sort of necessary as a backup, and then like a safety net power as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the generators here. You know, like our our neighbor next door to us here has a generator. So as soon as anything goes off, they just crank up. But it's a gas generator, so mm -hmm. not clean, but at least it's it's there in case of emergency, pretty much. Yeah, and I mean, as much as I you know want and appreciate clean energy. He's, it's not like he's running that generator every day of the year, all year long. It's just yeah. when this type of thing comes up. Yeah, it's been twice since we've been, but we've also had two giant like natural disasters. Pretty much is what it seems like for us. It's a natural disaster. Is this cold? And then in the summertime, we had a big. There was a big storm and knocked out the power, so it was hot and no no power. Yeah, but basically, when... he, that those are the only times I've heard him with that on. One other issue I've been seeing in this is that, you know, we have such a backlog in immigration cases that they have just like these migrant tent villages, basically. And these people are basically living under tarps that are laid out mm -hmm. to be tents. And obviously they're freezing. Is there anything like how how does Texas feel about this in general? Because it's, it's like a tricky subject. I, and like, are they totally pro all immigrants for the most part or are they supportive but we they like I, I don't know so it's it depends on where you're at and who you're talking to really it's it's as we saw in the last election it's more divided than it's ever been we're closer to being mm -hmm. blue than we've ever been but i mean just from my own personal experience right now i i live in houston outside of houston and it's more so red where i'm at so a lot of people are not super happy with it but I've also lived down in the valley close to the border. And down there, you, you leave shoes on your front porch and a big jug of water so that that way the people who are coming across the border have new shoes and water to drink so that mm -hmm. they're more taken care of. So, again, it just depends on where you're at and who you're talking to. Is there a reasonable solution that, like, you think both sides of these Texans could come to where it just comes for, like, the safe housing of people until their course their court cases get resolved uh i mean yeah obviously there's there's a way you can have people housed safely you can make it uh, i mean it's kind of hard though because a lot of the people who are coming over don't have the means to go through all that it's very expensive to go through all that process and it's it takes forever and you know by that time those people are so desperate then it you know they're doing that for a reason they're not risking their lives because it's it's not a big deal. You know, they're, they're on the verge of either dying or their, their lives are con constantly threatened. So if they made the process easier, I think that would be a huge first step, but nobody, I mean, it's, it's like we've talked about on the show. A lot of times there's no in the middle. It's either you say you're okay with it and then you're a commie or you say you're not okay with it and you're a Nazi. So mm -hmm. there's not, there's not really a middle ground for people, unfortunately, with something like this. Tris, is there do do people migrate to New Zealand? Like the process must be more streamlined if people have to f like it's an island, you know. There's only certain yeah, ways people can get in. It's really hard to get here. Um, we do have like when when um, there are a lot of people trying to get to Australia because Australia is very close to Indonesia, um, mm -hmm. and people 
people do come through the migrant route and try to get to Australia. And Australia basically puts them in concentration camps on the Pacific Islands. Oh, wow. They, oh, Jesus. Yeah, they're really horrific concentration camps. Um, mm-hmm. And if you, anyone working there, if they speak out about them, they get charged with treason. Um, but there was a, a famous case, one of, sort of when they started these camps, of a boat that collapsed uh, and they just put them there and New Zealand eventually said, we'll just take as many of those people as we can. Um, we have a, a refugee resettlement process. Um, we don't take a lot of refugees in, but we try to focus on making sure that anyone we do take, we can make sure that they actually like have the support they need and get jobs. But so y'all are like, so y'all are like our Canada to <laughs> to America. Yeah, kind of. I mean, we don't we don't take many, um, and it's hard to get here, so we don't have this issue where we're trying to have having people just turning up. Um, Would you say, in general, your whole country is more liberal than than what you see in America? Definitely more liberal than America. Um, we're quite socially liberal, but economically we're very free market so mm-hmm. compared to europe for example we're we have quite a right-wing economy but socially we're a fairly you know fairly liberal how was the community like in support of you when you came out it I mean, it, it varies like i live in wellington now and wellington's probably one of the best places in the world that i could live um but like when i first tried to come out was like maybe 2001 um and i was living in in the south island and i essentially just put myself back in the closet i was like it's too dangerous like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna have a good quality of life hmm. um and i i don't regret that choice like that was actually the right choice to make at the time because mm-hmm. i wouldn't have had a good quality of life um but it's you know it's pretty good now like i because i'm lazy at training my voice um if someone meets me um, like face to face. So if I walk into a shop or I walk into a bar, um, people will automatically gender me as a woman. But if people hear my voice, then they'll tend to gender me as a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need to get less lazy about training my voice. How did? Uh, how does someone train their voice? Uh, just a lot of practice. Okay. Um, yeah. Just not not like speaking high like this. Not, mm-hmm. you know, not like going a falsetto. It's about um speaking softer because you're not trying to speak higher you're just trying to remove the lower um like octave the lower yeah the lower register of your voice so you just have to practice not speaking like that my problem is um i tried to train it like five years ago but i get really enthusiastic talking about stuff that i'm interested in as soon as i do that my voice drops and so i was like well i don't want to stop being enthusiastic about stuff that i like (laughs) so I, i just gave up but now that i'm further along in my transition and now that like people gender me as a woman when I'm face to face. It's kind of like, well, this is now the only thing standing in the way. So I have to, you know, I've got to do something about that. How big is the, like the LGBTQ community in New Zealand? Uh, in It's pretty big in the two main cities in Wellington and Auckland. Like in Wellington in particular, um, you know, you'll walk down the street and you'll see people who are like proudly displaying their like, you know their flags and buttons and things and you know a lot of people who are, you know quite obviously trans and not passing and who there's no problem with that um but in smaller communities it's 
not the same. Like it's yeah. gonna be pretty pretty rough growing up in, in a small what, community. What's interesting to me, I mean, there's lots of things that are interesting to me, but we are the three of us are all in these sports groups together. Do you see in like groups that are like that that are, you know, culturally seen as more masculine? Do you have more problems with acceptance? I mean, it's over the internet, so who knows, but do you have more problems with acceptance or are the groups you're in pretty welcoming or do, does it even come up? Yeah, I mean, like in, in the overstated groups that we were in, um, things are pretty good. Like there was a, a discussion um, just this last week and, you know, there are people who are very resistant to the idea of trans people, but mm -hmm. for the most part, it was it was very supportive. Um, the two main sports that I follow are basketball and rugby and I'm part of the reason I'm a much bigger basketball fan is that I feel don't feel particularly comfortable in the New Zealand rugby community, mm -hmm. whereas in like the basketball fandom, um, I feel much more comfortable. Like there are NBA players who are very pro LGBT, mm -hmm. um, and it's not so much in rugby. Um, I think also whatever country or community you're in, whatever's the most popular sport, and it's usually going to be a contact sport, either American football or um, soccer or rugby or um, ice hockey in Canada, whatever the most popular sport is, is going to be the fan base is going to be more conservative. Mm -hmm. Whereas secondary sport, um, like basketballers, even in, in most of America um, and certainly in New Zealand, is not going to have such a rabid fan base because mm -hmm. you get very conservative guys who their sport is like that one particular sport and then they're quite macho about it so i think that helps with basketball um, it also just helps that i think with the success of the WNBA, which must be the queerest major sports league mm -hmm. in the world um the pro LGBT stuff that the WNBA does has kind of fed over into the NBA because of the links. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that helps. So mostly I find like, you know, following basketball, it's not too much of an issue now. Um, certainly when I was, when I came out, not as trans, but as bi, when I was in high school, I basically had to give up on sports. This was mm -hmm. the turn of the millennium. Um, and it wasn't until later in the zeros that I actually started enjoying sports again. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it's, you know, when I first joined um, the previous NBA group that I was in, I was very hesitant to comment because I was, you know, worried that like a bunch of dude bros were just going to mock me. And also yeah. like, yeah. I had just gotten back into basketball. So my opinions were, uh, you know, not great anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. There, there was that story this week. Sorry, Mike. Um, I think it's the one you were talking about with the, uh, it was the, the 50 year old. And I think that was, to me, that was awesome that people were focusing more on the fact that they were 50 instead of that it was a trans athlete i mean in yeah. our group that that really i mean it makes me feel good about the group because there's other groups yeah. that i'm in who i mean like you brought up the witcher earlier i mean i'm in a group i was in a group i left it because every single post was about the casting in it and it's just a bunch of it's it's just hate post after hate post and you don't really see that in our group too much. I'm, it's, you know, I'm proud of it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a fun community to be part of. I, I think. Um. Oh, I. How did you get into basketball? Living in New Zealand, like, is it 
like where does it rank in the popularity of sports over there it's like it's definitely out the top rugby rugby is by far and away our most popular sport um cricket's like our summertime sport like baseball netball which is kind of like basketball except you can't dribble the ball it, you just once you catch the ball you have to stand still maybe take one or two steps um and there's no backboard so you just have to oh i think i've seen that yep um that's that's like overwhelmingly a women's sport so that's hmm. one of our most popular sports and it's um it's mostly women play that so rugby netball um cricket sailing's really big just because we're really good at it mm -hmm. um, and then probably soccer and then i would say basketball after soccer um when i was a kid in the 90s and i was a huge rugby fan you couldn't really watch basketball on tv mm -hmm. but people would trade basketball cards and talk about you know these really cool athletes mm -hmm. um, and i guess because like hip-hop was going big and um, basketball and hip-hop have always been intertwined and so that made it cool i just thought it was cool but like i couldn't watch nba games mm -hmm. yeah. um, i would go and see a local team the nelson giants play and i would always have one american import who for most of the time i was a fan was kendrick perkins dad kenny who was my nice. favorite player oh okay um yeah so i was kind of watched local basketball wasn't able to watch the actual nba games and then i gave up on sport when i was about 15 so mm -hmm. like 2001 um when i got back into it i'd sort of been trying to get back into rugby and not feeling particularly accepted by the rugby community and mm -hmm. being bothered by like racism and sexism and homophobia in the rugby community mm -hmm. um and then i read the story this so this was 2012 about Trayvon Martin had just been killed mm -hmm. and the Miami heat did this protest where they all came onto the court wearing these hoodies with the hoods up. And mm -hmm. I just thought, well, that's really cool. Uh, and then Lynn sanity was happening. And so I was sort of seeing these things and I ended up watching some clips and I watched this documentary, um, the courtship of rivals about magic and bird. And there was a, there was sort of the, the compared how their passing style was similar and showed them doing these amazing passes. And I was like, man, I love basketball. That was mm -hmm. like, my second favorite sport as a kid behind rugby and it was the also the sport i enjoyed playing the most the only tournament i've ever won was like a three-on-three basketball tournament so i started getting back into it just following it online um not actually watching games but just sort of keeping it up to date with it and then in the playoffs when the heat were playing the celtics i thought well i'll go to i'll go to a sports bar and i'll watch a game and it was i think the seventh game of that series between the heat and the celtics it was oh just an that's excellent game. yeah it was. was like yeah so that was, I was like a Miami Heat fan um, for a little bit. And then LeBron left the Heat and I became a Golden State Warriors fan. And oh. then during the 2016 finals, they were just kind of acting like dickheads. And mm -hmm. so I kind of was like, ah, I don't know if I support the Warriors anymore. They're just acting like dickheads. Um, and then they lost and I was like, cool, they'll be humbled. They'll be fun again. And then they got Kevin Durant and they weren't really that fun <laughs> to watch. And so I sort of was like, okay, well, then I started watching the Blazers because they were like, sort of things that i liked about watching steph um i could see in dame but then they weren't like like being an all blacks fan in new zealand like your team just wins all the time it's not actually that much fun mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so the blazers were fun to watch in the way that the warriors were and actually were you know you didn't know if they were going to win it was kind of a challenge and it was exciting uh and after i think after the conference finals um a couple of years ago I realized that rather than being a bandwagon fan like I was with the Heat and the Warriors, um, I was actually stuck with this team now. I think partly because 
I'd watch home games and see stuff about Portland to be like, man, this is just like a bigger version of Wellington. This mm-hmm. is this is great. Like so, then I had a connection that was not just like one or two players. Um, you know. Yeah, and, and I, I. Oh, sorry. Well, I was gonna say, um, like, I was jumping back a little bit. Like, I know it sucks that when you're growing up, you the games weren't on TV. But for some reason, there's something really endearing to me about still trading the basketball cards. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I just... Yeah, this, the players seem so cool. Like my favorite players in the '90s are Barkley and Rodman, and mm-hmm. like they've, you know, they can be douchebags, but like they're also just kind of cool. Um, Charles Barkley, interestingly, has been uh, a queer ally since like the early '90s, since before it was cool. Yeah, um, hmm. which I don't know if that's very well known, but no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, and he was on one of my teams. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, he's. I mean, it, lately he's had a rough stretch, but. For the most part, he's always pretty. He's pretty ahead of the curve, from what it seems. Um, yeah, like he can. He he says stuff. Um, he he's willing to speak his mind, and sometimes he says stuff that's just stupid or like really yeah. badly informed. But in terms of his actions, like he's he tends to be a pretty good dude. In- Do you think that NBA players in the NBA is like probably the most progressive league that you see besides the WNBA? I guess. Yeah, definitely. Like the WNBA is just ridiculously progressive. Yeah. It's amazing, um, and it's because like there's just so many openly queer players mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. WNBA. It's a big part of that. And then I think the NBA, because it's such, it's so dominated by black athletes, and because you only have five people on the court, if someone has strong views, um, strong political views. They're and they're a good player. Their value is so high that you can't just say, "Oh well, we're not going to play that player anymore." Mm-hmm. Like, um, and LeBron has been a big part of that. Like, LeBron yeah. has been very forthright um, about his views, and you know, he's the best player on a sport that is very much more concentrated on its best players. Uh, and I think that's continued as well. When you talk about these athletes that are strong allies, what are some what's some advice you can give to people to to like be better allies like the best allies they can be i think the mo- the main thing is like listening um and like if you make a mistake try not to be defensive about it um, mm-hmm. like there's a phenomenon that i've noticed um in the trans community and i think and this is probably going to be true for most minority communities but i can only speak of my own community um when you're particularly when you're a trans woman um walking down like the street in most places in the world you're going to get harassed possibly even attacked mm-hmm. um, and you get so used to people being bigoted against you being even violent against you that it becomes safer to presume people are going to attack you yeah um, and i call this hedgehogging like you know you, you might not be a threat to the hedgehog but the hedgehog is gonna like curl up in a ball and put its spikes out presuming you're a threat right. mm-hmm. um, and so if someone makes a mistake like if someone misgenders you there are a lot of people will just go, oh, well, that person therefore is bigoted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a safety mechanism. It's because, like, well, you're so used to getting hurt that it's safer for you to presume that someone is against you. Mm-hmm. The problem with that, though, is that there are just a lot of people who don't know much about, like, um, being trans um, or being queer. And so they get things wrong and make mistakes. Um, and that's, you know, that's, human. that's just being human. And so mm-hmm. if you if you sort of get really aggressive like or even just like you know like oh well you're just a bigot then or something if someone makes a mistake then it's going to discourage that person from trying to do better Mm -hmm. 
so I, you know, I'm lucky because I live somewhere where I don't have to be constantly concerned for my safety. So mm-hmm. I can be a bit more patient and a bit more willing to say, hey, like, you know, you made a mistake. This is the correct thing to say, um, but no big deal. Um, what I would say to people who experience people um, who, you know, people who want to be supportive, but make mistakes and then get like called out um, for it like understand why people are doing that like mm-hmm. understand that there is the safety mechanism and like you may have made an on- innocent like honest mistake um but there's a reason why they've interpreted that honest mistake as open hostility it's mm-hmm. a safety mechanism try not to be too bothered by it um don't get defensive about it just be like okay i made a mistake i'm sorry i'll do better yeah mm-hmm. and then if you know you do better then they will eventually see that but i would also say to other people in my community like if you can safely um be patient with people um there's just you know the a lot of people have never met a trans person or aren't very informed about um trans issues and that's that's something that, you know we have to un- understand that because that just is what it is and it's better to try and explain things than to get crappy about it yeah uh, that's like, you know. oh i was just gonna say i mean I, that that makes a lot of sense. I've never thought about the defense mechanism thing like that before. That's that's a really good point. I mean, it, it's a problem I think a lot of the people nowadays have is not not putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and thinking possibly, you know, how it how they're feeling about it. You just you're right. You immediately want to you're back on your heels and want to be defensive. And if both people are like that, it's going to have a fight no matter what. So and I, I know the trans community is like very underrepresented in the media is there anything that you see that is actually like either an accurate um description or just one that would like help inform people better yeah uh, there's a netflix documentary by laverne cox um, oh yeah Dis- trans yep. called disclosure um which i would highly recommend um, there are some youtubers as well um of like varying quality but definitely i'd recommend that documentary um the thing that I'm, I've been trying to do recently is try and get good information about like the biology of, of sex and gender and transitioning. And it's unfortunately there isn't like just one article that explains it really well. And so what, like what we saw um, in, in our basketball group recently, some, when there was this post about a trans woman playing college basketball, a lot of people's response was, well, she's biologically male, therefore she has an unfair advantage. And the response to that can be, oh, well, you're being a bigot. But it, what actually is happening there is that people don't understand the science of, of sex and gender and the science particularly of transitioning. So they don't understand that, like, if you want to participate in um, high-level sports, there are restrictions around, like, like for example, in the NCAA, um, if a trans woman wants to compete in women's sports, she has to have been on testosterone blockers for a year and continue taking them. And what that means is that you have very low testosterone levels comparable to um, the majority of women. And most of, almost all of the physical benefits um, or physical advantages men have playing sports come from having high testosterone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people think, oh, well, this trans woman is like a biological male, therefore she has an unfair advantage. Um, and just simply because they don't know how 
hormone replacement therapy works they don't know that like once we've been on testosterone blockers and estrogen boosters we have really low testosterone comparable to that of other women um, we don't have the, the you know the muscle strength because once you are on hormone replacement therapy your body says oh i'm going to have babies i have to create fat instead of muscle so instead of doing what it would have, would do when you when you have high testosterone your body is putting its energy towards creating muscle it's creating fat instead mm. um and so you lose a lot of physical strength like i i can do like half the number of press-ups i used to be able to do even though i work out more um and so that means that you lose the advantages that you would have as a biological male um, and it also means in some cases you have to completely relearn the sports that you're playing mm-hmm. for, like in basketball the best way for a male basketball player to shoot the ball is to raise it quite like high up above their head and release it at the top of the arc. But that requires a lot of upper body strength and women basketball players don't really have the strength to shoot accurately that way. So if you watch the WNBA, um, even like great shooters like Diana Taurasi are shooting from much lower down. Right. And so for a trans woman who plays basketball, if you want to be a good shooter, you're going to have to recreate your shot, which means you're sort of starting on the back foot Mm -hmm. Um, in addition, you know, to learning, you know, you're essentially learning how to be physically more or less equivalent to the majority of women for the purposes of playing sports. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like that information just isn't very well known. Um, Another thing is just is the concept of biological sex refers to two completely different things. One is genetic sex, like having X, Y, or XX chromosomes. The other is physiological sex, which is what your body is. And the two aren't necessarily equivalent. They're usually equivalent. Because they're usually equivalent, people think they're the same. But um, there are people with um, what's called XY gonadal um, dysgenesis. I think it's called. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Um, where essentially you have an X, regular XY male chromosomes, but you're born with a female body. Um, because something's happening um, with the way your genetics get turned into your body. Um, so when these people are born, the doctor looks at them and goes, hey, a healthy baby girl, um, but they have XY chromosomes. So mm-hmm. genetic sex doesn't necessarily translate into physiological sex. Um, and then when you look at people who've been through hormone replacement therapy, trans people have been through hormone replacement therapy, their bodies change in the way that their physiology um becomes much more equivalent to the gender that they identify as um can i ask you real quick um how new is the science on it and how much has it progressed um i think even recently in the past decade or so yeah it's it's been hormone replacement therapy has been going on since um you know for about 50 years but the science of it is continually developing and in terms of like sports performance that's really a new area Mm -hmm. um we're still studying it now. We still don't have a great idea um, over exactly like to what extent are trans men able to compete with cis men? Um, to what extent are trans women, um, do they have an advantage or not over cis women? Um, the evidence seems to be like certainly with non-contact sports, there really isn't any advantage um, if you're a trans woman compared to a cis woman because whatever advantages men have is almost entirely from having testosterone, having the strength, like the muscle strength of having testosterone. Um, whether or not there's an advantage at contact sports is a bit more debated, but it seems unlikely. Um, 
people talk about oh your bone mass and your skeletal structure is different and, and that doesn't change but it hormone replacement therapy like does seem to have some impact on bone structure and it's also uncertain like how important bone structure is anyway it doesn't seem to be that right. significant it's a like testosterone but the research is still going on like we still don't have a full picture of that so like last week we we were talking about it and the two examples we were talking about was the uh the track and field um the trans woman i think it was two of them actually um they were competing in the i forget what yardage race it was but they had pretty well smoked the rest of the competition and everybody was pretty upset about it and the other one was the MMA fighter. Now this one happened years ago um yep. where the where the other woman had her her skull fractured. So I think that's the kind of the example. I mean, I don't know. Am, am yeah, I... so with the track and field one, I I don't know much about that case. Um all I can say is that if you look a bit more wildly, there are gonna be like trans women who compete in track and field who suck. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So like the the two you know people will point to the, the those who are actually good at it and say they have an unfair advantage but um you would need to look at every trans woman who competes in in track and field or at least a large sample and say well okay what's the average like and if the average is you know is more or less equivalent to that of cis woman um then then that you know that's the answer um with regard to felon fox the mma fighter yes um so people will, will will essentially point to the fact that in one of her fights um she caused an orbital bone fracture to her opponent and then the opponent then said um she'd never fought in anyone like her that her like fists were bigger that her physiology was different and that therefore she had an unfair advantage um two things to keep in mind one is like orbital bone fractures where essentially your um, eye socket gets fractured my understanding is that's one of the most common mma injuries both in men's and women's um, mixed martial arts so that isn't actually an uncommon injury for women mma fighters to inflict on each other that's my understanding i'm not like a huge mma fan mm -hmm. um so it's not that out of the ordinary the other thing is felon fox's record is five to one so she had five victories and one loss before she retired so it's not like she beat every single opponent. Like she was good. She beat five of her six opponents. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at her loss, um, she lost by technical knockout within two rounds because her opponent was just kicking her ass so badly that the referee had to call off the fight. Mm -hmm. um, not because the trans athlete was endangering the life of the, the non-trans athlete, um, the, the cis woman, but because the other way around. Um, her opponent, Ashley Evans-Smith, was just kicking her ass so badly um, yeah. they had to call off and then if you look at ashley even smith record she has a record of six to five so she's good but she's not like the best woman's mma fighter in the world sure and it'd be it would be like you know if i went in to fight ronda rousey she'd beat the hell out of yeah. me <laughs> and and you yeah. know and it's you know there she is she's a woman and i'm a man so these people's argument would be that i should have an advantage She'd work my ass so fast, <laughs> I wouldn't know what was going yeah. on. I mean, if you're, if you're like, you know, if you are biologically male and you're like a well-trained MMA fighter, then you probably will have an advantage. Um, but Felon Fox had been on hormone replacement therapy for years before she became an MMA fighter. She wasn't actually out of like openly trans when she started. She was passing as a cis woman, um, and her trainer, and her sparring partner and her initial opponents 
didn't have any reason to think that she was trans. They just took her as a cis woman. She's like five seven, which is and like. Um, it's, I mean, it's a little bit taller, but it's still average. Yeah, it's it's basically average. Um, but because of like this one victory she had, where her opponent got injured, and then her opponent said like she fought like a man. People focus on that. Like, well, I want to hear from I want to hear from the fighter who beat her. Uh, yeah. I want to hear if she thought there was like any unfair advantage. Um, yeah. And this is why we're glad you came on with us because, you know, questions like that, we don't, we're not as informed as we should be. And it's even when we were talking about it, like we were even saying like, we're unsure about the science behind this and stuff like that. So like, we do really appreciate you helping spread some light on this stuff for us. Yeah. I mean, I, I love talking about this stuff. Like there are a lot of trans people who don't like being asked questions about it, which is fine. Like they have a right to their privacy and mm-hmm. shouldn't have to like, in the same way that like, you know, black people hadn't, shouldn't have to explain racism to white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trans people shouldn't have to, have to explain things. But my attitude is like, I like talking about this stuff. Um, and by talking about it, then I'm going to ensure that people, you know, understand things better and understand the science. Mm-hmm. There are just going to be people who are prejudiced. But I think there are a lot of people who just don't understand things. And so they make mistakes because mm-hmm. they don't know things. They don't necessarily understand that, um, you know, someone who's been through hormone replacement therapy, like has changed their physiology. Mm-hmm. And yeah. When it comes to not knowing things, me and Steven are top of the line of not knowing <laughs> things. So that's where we got the name of the show from. <laughs> How old were you when you realized that you weren't necessarily living your your true self uh so i was i was 12 um, okay so this was 1997 and i wanted to be a spice girl and i was like well that doesn't make any sense like i really mm-hmm. want to be prostitutes and i was like that doesn't make any sense i'm a guy like i must just be attracted to her and i was like no no i really want to be i like i want to be like her she's cool but i didn't really have the concept of being trans at that time like it wasn't mm-hmm. something that was well known like i couldn't have asked anyone i understood like drag queens um mm-hmm. and people who like what what were called transsexuals at the time who were basically mocked um mm-hmm. there was sort of an idea that if you were a if if you were a transsexual um someone who was assigned male at birth um but was like live, trying to live as a woman if you're attracted to guys then you were kind of like pathetic and if you're attracted to women then you're probably a predator mm-hmm. um so the idea of actually being like them would was horrifying to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is terrible. I can't be like this. Um, mm-hmm. When I was, so after I came out as bi, um, when I was like 16, uh, I had a friend who would wear dresses just like for goth reasons, just to try mm-hmm. and shock people. Sure. So I was like, oh, well, if I pretend I'm doing it for the same reason, if I pretend it's just to be shocking, then I can kind of have an, have like used that as a way to try and live as who I want to be. And I did that for a little bit, um, and then I got to being about 19, and my physiology was changing. Like, I was growing facial hair, my voice was lowering, and I couldn't really pass as a woman. Uh, and I was like, uh, my life's going to be... And even though I'd sort of learnt what it meant to be trans by then, I was like, well, my life's just going to be crap um, if I try and live that way. So mm-hmm. I tried to be a guy for, like, throughout my early 20s until I got to a point where, like, I was just behaving stupidly and my so my friends had to do an intervention like why are you drinking so much and it's like Mm -hmm. okay well this is this is what's actually going on they were like well you should do you should live as you want to be then um so So it was was like 10 years ago it was your friends 
approaching you at first, not necessarily you approaching them. Like yeah, it was so they didn't know um, that I was trans. They just knew like you. I was drinking too much, and I was mm-hmm. like, well, it's because like I can't live as who I want to be. I guess I'm just like you know. And I was I was trying to be a guy. Like I was like acting macho, like getting blackout drunk in strip clubs and mm-hmm. doing stupid shit like that. And eventually it was like, well, you can't keep acting like this. Like, you're being a dick. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, this is what's actually going on. But, like, I can't, I can't like, be a trans woman. That would suck. And they're like, well, no, like, that's fine. Like, just do that. Um, and then I tried to sort of, for about, from, so that was 2011. Um, through until 2018, I guess, I tried to have it both ways where, like, I wasn't really willing to commit to transitioning because mm-hmm. I was still scared. Um and I was using they, them pronouns and things. And then eventually I was like, nah, I just need to be myself. Um, and fortunately that meant, because it's really hard to get on, on hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. It's a very reluctant um, to give it out. But because I'd been presenting female for so long, they were like, okay, no, that's that's fine. Like you're obviously a trans woman. We'll just like give you these drugs. Is the medical stuff, how much of that, is like out of pocket and how much is covered by insurances and stuff uh so in new zealand like most people in new zealand don't have health insurance um, mm-hmm. we have a system called pharmac where it's a government-owned organization or government organization who looks at which which like medicines do we need to buy to give the best number of quality of life years to people so how many quality how many years of quality of life is this medicine going to create? Mm-hmm. Um, and they try and buy like the cheapest versions of something that they can. So like a generic rather than brand name thing. Um, and as long as your the medicine you need is subsidized by Pharmac, then you're paying like five dollars every three months. Okay. Oh. So it's yeah, you know, it's pretty cheap. Um, fortunately, the med- like the pills that I take are subsidized by Pharmac, so it doesn't really cost much. So it's a really great way to look at it when it comes to like how many years of quality of life can we provide to somebody? That's definitely not something that here in America, they people think about at all. Yeah. I and mean, it, it is controversial because you have people who um, like want to get a particular medicine um, because they don't like the medicine they're on and they're mm-hmm. upset that Pharmax not covering it. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's understandable. It's their healthcare. Um, and so there, you know, there are always medi- like Kate, stories in the media about our pharmac like aren't funding that this this drug that i need to live um but often it's because they're funding another one um which according to their calculation is the best use of their money because they only have limited funds um fortunately the medicine that like the medicine that i take is is actually funded initially for other reasons um like the testosterone blockers are a I'm not sure what their main uses. Um, the so it's... weak ones that are on were for cancer, and then like the estrogen boosters are actually used for menopause. Yeah. So it's like I I have psoriasis pretty bad, and I have to take. Uh, well, I did. I stopped taking it because American insurance. But um, it, the the thing that it was initially made for was for arthritis, and they figured out once people started taking it, their psoriasis was going down and. It's, I'm assuming it's kind of the same way. Yeah, like drug companies aren't out there trying to like develop hormone replacement therapy drugs for trans people. Like mm. that's not really um, economically viable, but they develop these drugs that then it's like, oh, 
like um, Propecia, which I was on before I started taking, or I was on Finasteride, which is the generic version of Propecia, mm-hmm. which I took before I actually started um, full hormone replacement therapy just to stop my hairline from receding. Um, that is a drug intended to prevent um, testicular cancer mm-hmm. because it stops your testosterone from turning into DHT, which causes that cancer and also causes stops hairline receding. Mm-hmm. But they noticed that people who were taking that, their, you know, their hairline recession stopped. So they're like, ah, oh, I guess this is useful there. And then Propecia like marketed it as like this wonder drug to stop your hairlines receding. Um, little to bit, little do like all the middle-aged guys know who are taking that. They're basically taking like a testosterone-blocking hormone replacement therapy. Huh. Um, so funny, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, but you're telling me I can stop my hairline from receding because I need, <laughs> I need that. Yeah, it, yeah, it, like you can, it, you can it, take finasteride to do that. It has side effects, though. I, I've heard <laughs> stories about what uh, what Propecia can do. So yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the side effects, like if you're a trans woman, those side effects are not like right. things that are going to bother you. But if you're mm-hmm. like if you're a cis guy, then like they they might. Um, I should probably clarify to the readers. I've been using the term like cis. Um, people know what think they know what trans means. Cis and trans are Latin words meaning this side and the other side. So like. Um, cis alpine this side of the mountain trans alpine the other side of the mountain um and doctors introduce these to describe gender like cisgender means like your birth certificate said male when you were born and you are a male transgender means like your birth certificate said male when you're born but you're a woman or vice versa it said you're a woman when you're born but you actually um are a guy that's that actually that has that has been boggling my mind for years i didn't know what it was i didn't know why i was getting called yeah. <laughs> so i was like i don't yeah. know <laughs> but uh, yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense yeah so it's just yeah this side and the other side they're just latin terms for that yeah. and i know it's obviously going to be different for every single person but if there's someone who you know is having thoughts in their head that they're not sure they're living their true life or best life and stuff what would be like the a place that they could go or, or a good first step that they could take to kind of decide if if what they're feeling is real yeah i mean it's 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 hard because like you don't necessarily want to go to the medical establishment um or even necessarily counselors because a lot of them aren't very well informed on this stuff mm-hmm. um and if you look up information on the inter- internet chances are you're going to find the wrong information um so it's just really it's really hard like there are in some areas there are like trans support groups who you can go to for information Um, in some areas there are not Um, like if you live somewhere where there isn't a transgender organization you can go to to ask questions then you probably your best bet is just to go on the internet um, like go like find a transgender support group on facebook and just ask questions um be ready to expect like if you ask the wrong questions or say the wrong things, some people will like pile on and, and mm-hmm. be like negative towards you and that's going to be hard um, but other people will be patient with you and explain mm-hmm. things um yeah yeah i i am in groups like that and like i try to just i'm trying to like you know learn as much as i can be a best ally i can but it's definitely times where i ask a in hindsight stupid question or stuff like that where some people are very helpful and some people are very angry with me so i understand that were yeah, you... and it's just understanding why they're angry. It's yeah. Like oh, I do. So used to being attacked. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, were you the first trans person that you knew in your life? When I was, I mean, certainly when I was twelve, I didn't know any trans people, so I didn't really understand what I was or what mm-hmm. was going on. Um, when I 
so when I was 19 and I made the decision not to transition and to just to pretend to be a guy, I had a friend at the time who was assigned female at birth who had come out as a trans man um, and was living in, in Wellington at the time where I'm lit now, which is a much more accepting city than where I was. And I was both proud and envious of him um, that like, okay, he's actually doing it. Like he's actually transitioning. This is fantastic. I'm not because I, I don't have the courage to do it. Mm -hmm. Um but this was this was sort of 15 years ago where it was a bit harder than it is now. And he just found mm -hmm. it too hard um, and took his own life. And I yeah. was like, okay, I guess that proves I made the right choice then, mm -hmm. uh, which is like, you know, I messed up. But yeah, so that was like, he was, I guess, the first trans person that I knew. Uh, and he was a trans man rather than a trans woman. So sort of a different situation. Um, and then after I came out um, as trans, I've tried to meet other trans people that I can talk to things about. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I didn't, certainly didn't know other trans people when I came out. I mean, there just weren't trans people in the community I was living in, mm -hmm. New Zealand. Um, there would have been in the big cities, but I wasn't living in a big city. So all I saw was like what was in the media and what was in the media was like not not very nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got you had movies like Joanna Man and stuff like that where that, that was really our only i mean for me that was my only exposure to it and things like yeah, that so, and, and, and it's like just making a mockery the, of it yeah like the ending of ace ventura um mm -hmm. which is yeah. very like kind of horrific now yeah. watching it or like um yeah there just wasn't much that was positive there was priscilla queen of the desert which is an mm -hmm. australian movie that i was a big you know big fan of it's a little bit problematic like most 90s um, <laughs> queer media are but like that was i guess one where it was more or less a positive portrayal. Um, it still wasn't someone I wanted to be like, because like the trans woman in that movie, like she was, you know, her, her life was hard. Like she was kind of sad a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but at least it was sympathetic, which was something. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, I mean, really the first trans role model I had was Laverne Cox. Like mm -hmm. when she was, cause she's just so awesome. Um, yeah. And she's probably, like, oh, how long has she like been on the scene? Like less than yeah, a decade like, probably, right? Yeah, I think when did Orange is the New Black come out? Like 2013? Yeah, probably around there, yeah. And and she was just so so well-spoken. So, like, you know, she, she looked great. She was just, like, just really cool. Then she was on the cover of Time magazine. And mm -hmm. I, like, bought a cheap imitation of the dress she wore on the cover mm -hmm. of Time because she wore it. Um, that was, yeah, that, I mean, she was the first real, like, positive role model I yeah. that I had. We watched, we watched her documentary, the Disclosure, when they talked about in like, we were very emotional watching it and that's not even our community so it's it is like inspiring to see what she does and there's like our our group of friends there was one person who came out as trans and then after that other people like got inspired by her and that that made them feel like they could come out as well so i i definitely see like when you're saying back then when you're younger not a lot of people were felt as comfortable i, I hope that more and more people are are being able to be them true selves now because they're seeing other role models like Laverne Cox yeah. and like yourself like maybe there's you know young people listening that are are gonna oh god I hope you say. <laughs> I hope we, our listeners aren't that young <laughs> well, <laughs> but there's any age where you know people you know we, we still see you see articles now where there's like men that are 90 like there was one this he wasn't trans but he came out as gay when he was in his 90s like you know there's still people now that are realizing that they can 
they can be who they who they want to be and feel maybe a little safer than they would have yeah. when we were younger. Have either yeah, one of y'all? Oh, I, I was just going to ask if either one of y'all have watched uh, Doom Patrol, the DC show. No. Um, no, there is a character I can't think of his name right now, but he is he's basically one of the one of the heroes in it. And it goes through on the show, like his his journey. He was he was a pilot fighter, or a fighter pilot, however you say it, in like the forties or fifties, and it basically goes through a lot of his his life of trying to hide it and um, his you know his secret husband. And it, it's not it's he's it's just him coming out as gay. But I thought it was interesting. It's you know like like y'all said I don't ever see anything represented like that so for me it was one of the first ones i've ever seen and it was it was pretty moving watching it it it's really it put a new perspective it gave me a new perspective on it yeah it's easy to forget now like within our lifetimes it was illegal to be gay like mm-hmm. it was, in mm-hmm. new zealand um male homosexuality was illegal until 1987 like i was only two years old so Jesus. i don't remember that but like it was my lifetime and then um some of the southern some of the sort of the bible belt states in america it yeah. wasn't actually legalized until this century right uh, and it, it's easy to forget now like just how quickly things have changed and that for people who are alive now will have experienced like legal persecution yeah i mean even now in america there's still people fighting for you know rights to marry and, and things that cis people have had all along so it's not even like it's oh yeah that evolved yeah i have family members who had to fly up because i think for a while it was massachusetts was one of the only ones right mm-hmm. where it was legal yeah, we, we were the second one i think or we might have been the first um, we were one of the first ones yeah so i had family members who actually flew up there just to get married and then you know when you when they came back i don't i don't know the legal um what it was like legally but yeah they had to go all the way across the country just to get married and yeah it's it's still i don't I don't even know what the laws are here in Texas because it's so, to me, it's always so normalized now. Mm-hmm. Even around here, it's it's no big deal. Again, depending on who you're asking, but yeah. are you are you living in urban or rural area? Uh kind of in between because Texas is like technically I live in Houston, but I'm an hour outside of Houston because <laughs> that's that's how big we are here. So it's kind of a mix between. Just because we spread things out so much here, yeah. But it's it's pretty well accepted where I'm at. Cool. So that's so pretty much a little over an hour. Do either of you have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I'm good. Not that I can think of. Yeah. Well, we were thrilled to have you, and I'm sure we'll want to have you on again because I think I said this before, and like group, just like whatever Facebook groups run together that like you're definitely someone that keeps me grounded. Like your perspective on things are really make me think about stuff. Um, you know, it's usually either social or political stuff that catches my attention. So we're always thrilled to have you on. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like talking, like I like to talk about things that I'm interested in. It's one of the, well, anytime something catches your, your ear catches your eye, they want to talk about, we'll always have you on the show or you can always come on my show because we yeah we love talking to you and yep. i love your accent it <laughs> might it might be nor it's obviously normal for you but you know yeah. i love it 
Yeah, it's it's a weird accent. We tend to pronounce a lot of things the same. Like we take words that in other versions of English are pronounced differently. We just pronounce everything the same. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I I just wanted to. I appreciated you coming on because, I mean, even at the the top of the show, I I made the slip up, and you just rolled right with it. Where you know that I'm always trying to get better, but it's it's a process because, like I've mentioned a few times already, where I'm from, it's not. It is normalized, but it's still not something I run across very often. So I do make the yeah. slip ups and I appreciate whenever we have our, our back and forth on, even on the overstated page, you never, it, it, I never feel like I'm being a dickhead, as you say, <laughs> I always yeah, feel like I'm yeah, trying I think to like, I feel like I have a pretty good radar of like when someone is making a mistake and when someone is like being a dick and like yeah. in mm -hmm. terms of gendering. If someone like accidentally calls me he, it's like that's annoying. But like you know, I'll just correct them. But if someone's doing it intentionally, you can tell because they all really emphasize it. They're like he, and it's mm -hmm. like okay, yeah, kind of just making yourself sound like an idiot. So, yeah, yeah, and yeah, so you can tell. And like you know, people are gonna make mistakes. Like I, as like a, a Pakeha, um, a New Zealand European a white person, um, I I grew up in a town that was ninety five percent white, and I'm very, you know thought i was informed on like ethnic and racial issues and i'm i was really not and i'm trying to do better but like i make mistakes all the time and i find that people of color are usually pretty patient to like correct mm -hmm. me yeah. so i try and like live you know follow that example and i'm like well you know that's you know when i make a mistake um towards minority groups they're pretty patient with me and so like i want to i, I want to sort of you know use that same grace towards people um, but also knowing like I'm able to do that because I'm living somewhere where I can safely be myself right? and that not everyone has that, like that opportunity. Absolutely. And I, I, I really appreciate it. Cause I, I mean, I don't, I personally learned a lot just even in this last hour. And I think I really appreciate having you on because I always want to listen. I think, I think I forgot who mentioned it earlier, but you said, I think it was Tris. You said that it was more important to listen. And I think a lot of people have an issue with listening, even on a page that me and Mike are both on. Um, I won't call it out specifically, but there's a lot of people, there's a lot of white people who go on there, a lot of straight white people who go on and tell other people how to act. And I think, I think it's a mistake in my mind because we should be trying to listen and learn because yeah. we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much all the time we have, but. We loved having you on, and Stephen, it was great to talk to you, like always. Yes, and um, oh, what I, one last thing: what is going on for your on your drunk dad sports for this week? Oh God, I don't even know. We both okay. <laughs> we're both recovering from our hangovers, so it, we might have it delayed by a few days. Um, we've also both been kind of dealing with not oh, having power true. and yeah. reef himself, like his his ceiling caved in because he had a, a burst pipe in his house. So Same. there's been a lot going on. It might be a little delayed, but we will get it out at some point. All right. Well, keep your, everyone keep your eyes out and ears out for when that drops. And once again, thanks for listening. All right. Yes. Bye.